Intertextual Cardboard Experience. Hello and welcome to Intertextual Cardboard Experience. Fascinating 15th guest in Luis Aguas Vivas, writer for Pop Matters and a member of the New York Critics, uh, New York uh, Video Game Critics Circle. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm I'm super uh, excited for this conversation. We had a we had a nice little pre-conversation too about a lot of a lot of board game stuff. So we'll see if that uh, pops up when the time comes. But uh, the kind of my introduction to you and your work was through another uh, you know board game uh, channel and podcast in uh, Liz Davidson's Beyond Solitaire. So I, I listened to your episode on that one and just all the things that you're talking about uh, completely uh, just like, well, like blew me away. It was just like, wow, okay, like these are some of the things I've thought about, but maybe not in this way. And I don't know, I just loved the episode. And then by the end, you brought up uh, something that had kind of popped up uh, earlier, but that was the the video game uh, Tetris and and the way you're talking about it had me thinking about a whole bunch of different things and uh, ultimately that's what this episode is going to be about it's going to be about Tetris from kind of like you know four different angles the the video game itself uh, the movie Tetraminos Tetris and and board games and then a very nebulous category of Tetris in real life so before we get to any of that though I uh, just kind of want to ask uh, about you, uh, your writing, video game criticism, involvement in board games, uh, when you became interested in both, and then any sort of intersections in those two mediums, and then potentially other ones, because I know you write about like a whole uh, bunch of different things. And I know that's like five different questions. So kind of, you can kind of pick and choose uh, what you want. And I can maybe ask some follow up questions too. Hey, no, yeah. So I've always I've always walked along both both paths when it comes to analog and digital games. I mean, I personally don't for the purpose of when it comes to writing, researching and critic and criticism, I don't really have a a hard line differentiating the two. Um obviously there are differences. Um it's more for me is there's certain things that I tend to obviously cover video games more um, just because the the barrier to entry when it comes to writing about them tends to be, I mean, it poses, there's challenges, like, but overall, like, it, it can be something I can do by myself, right? Tabletop games are something that typically you need at least another person, um, you know, and then, and obviously if I'm writing critically about something, it's going to be, you know, I'm probably going to be playing the game a lot. I'm going to be looking at it from a bunch of different angles. I don't want to subjugate uh, family members or or friends, you know, into that process. Um, but no, um, I mean, as a kid, I've always played. I've always played games. I always played, you know, things like dominoes, um, card games, um, Parcheesi, as, as it's known here in the U.S. That's that was a big a big game for me as a child, um, as well as video games. Um, uh, I'll give a more personal anecdote. So I grew up in the Dominican Republic, um, which is, 
at least where I grew up there um, some, some decades ago. It wasn't the wealthiest country, so we would have constant blackouts. That's actually like a situation. So you can't really play, you know, digital games that often there, um, especially if you didn't have, if you didn't have like an electric generator, which my family didn't. So, you know, playing dominoes, if, if it's raining outside or whatever, things like that is very common. It's like, okay, you're playing Street Fighter, the lights go off, okay, now dominoes. So it's that, that's never been, you know, making that jump to me isn't something that's like radical or unheard of. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for for sharing that that anecdote there, and and yeah, kind of kind of growing up with both of them, and and being able to write about both of them, and having them be ingrained as a part of your life, as well as kind of like your initial thoughts about uh, kind of like now the ease of access and just being able to play a video game and and like diving into it like as much as you need to get that critical piece out. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. A lot of really interesting thoughts. So I guess kind of the, the one uh, follow-up question that I have though too, is that I, I do know that you write about uh, other like media as well. So you, you'll cover uh, music and you'll cover uh, books, I guess. Um, and, and those kind of similar to, uh, video games you can kind of in uh, consume on your own time uh, too. So how how do you feel like those overlap with with your main focus of video games and and just kind of like your work in general? Yeah, so a lot of my readers they know that I usually cover. So the way I'm built when it comes to my writing pop matters is I'm the game studies guy. So even a lot of the the music or books that I cover, most of them are predominantly linked to that to games. Um, there's some exceptions, um, but really it's only really I could think of. I think it's only really one. You no, know, there's two things that I've done that have no no relations to games at all when it comes to pop matters. Um, others are maybe there's um trying to think so i reviewed last year i reviewed um joseph rose thomas's book sink it's a great book it's a it's a fictionalized memoir of sorts but um i actually met joseph through the um uh it's called um the, uh, it's kind of academic like circle but it's a it's the Bro brooklyn institute of social research and he taught a class on game studies and so that's like my so that gives you like, and he wrote this book and the book actually talks a lot about his experiences like growing up and playing games on it. And I refer to that in my review. Um, one thing to the note when I'm writing as well, is like, I always, I use whatever it is that I'm writing about to talk about something else, right? I use that as a, as a vehicle, as a portal of sorts to really get into matter yeah i address you know i address what's at hand what's in front of me but i you know i i use the text when referring to text it can be video games it can be books it can be whatever music as as essentially as yeah as a starting off point yeah that's awesome and i uh i don't have 
any expertise in, in any of the types of text uh, that you're mentioning. Honestly, at this point, maybe, maybe getting to there with board games, but I definitely would have to study them more critically because I listen to so many people talk about them. I'm like, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm uh, there, but, but yeah, no, that, that's a really uh, unique approach. And, and I like that a lot. Cool. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll just get right into some of our uh, Tetris stuff and uh, the bulk of the questions or at least the bulk of my text about uh, questions is initially about the the video game, but I think you know as we hop into the other categories, the game will naturally pop up, or or vice versa. So we'll we'll see. Um, I'm just curious. Uh, you know, sometimes like when you play games, especially if like your first experience with with them was a long time ago you might have these really profound uh, first memories. Sometimes I have ones that are like, I, I think I have these memories, but I can't remember them, but there are definitely certain games that I have some really strong first memories of. Uh, do you have any first memories of Tetris that stick out to you? That's a, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know, Tetris is one of those games that feels like I've had part of my life forever. Like it's been like something that I can't really tell you what my earliest memory of the game is, but it's something that, yeah, I mean, this is going to be like hyperbolic and, you know, but it's but it's like a limb almost. Like, it's just like, it's always been there. Like since I can remember, um, I have experiences where it's like, oh, like I got like a, you know, when I get like, I break my high score or like I've done a feat that I haven't done before, but, yeah, it's the earliest childhood memories of it. Don't I just don't? It's it's such a yeah. It's I I mean I kind of kind of lost the words here for it because it really is something that it just seemed like it always like existed. It's just it's obviously it's a it's a child of like the modern age, right? It's a digital game made like computers, but it feels ancient. It feels like something that we've always done. Like as long as we've been playing games, it seems like we've always been playing Tetris. Obviously, that's not true, but I think that's part of like the beauty of the game. Yeah, yeah, that that makes makes a lot of sense. I when I was thinking about that question too, maybe not as uh, kind of like profoundly linked to me, but I I couldn't yeah I couldn't pick out any particular memory where I'm like yeah this is the first time I played it. Honestly, I couldn't say what council my, my guess would be a, a handheld honestly i mean that makes like a ton of sense too but yeah probably the game boy or color uh, in some yeah because most i mean most people found out about and played tetris when it was released in the game boy in 80 in 89 um i mean it's been i mean the game was created in 84 but for at least the, its first year was only exclusively played in, in the Soviet Union passed down through floppy disks and everything. And, and even that, like the game just like, you know, really spread. And then eventually was picked up by several different, um, well, not several, just mainly one distributor who was selling it to other consoles and eventually it made its way onto the Nintendo handheld. And from there, you know, the rest, the rest is history. Yeah, a, a lot of a lot of prehistory and and a lot of post history too, uh, which 
which will be neat when we uh, talk about like a, the the film and the a little bit of the story behind that too. I'm curious to hear your thoughts when we get there. Speaking of some of those first memories, though, whereas like Tetris has been kind of like a part of you forever, do you have any like profound memories of of being introduced to a game when growing up? Anything that really just sticks out to you? Uh, I mean, I guess there's probably more than one, but anything that really, really comes to your mind? Yeah, no, yeah, I have quite a few games. Um, the first game I can remember, like talking about, well, video game really, because at that point that was like really shocking seeing like a game like on a screen and like you have like a input device, whatever keyboard or, and then, and then like you control what's happening in the screen. That was, that was, it broke my mind because it's like, oh, well, that's just for like famous people, right? Like television is like, or movies, it's like for grander than you know like bigger than life like personalities and then you can see that you as like the individual you can control what happens on the screen that was like something that was profoundly just altered I'm at my conception of just like the world and like reality um the first one was um um Jordan men mentioners um Prince of Persia like the very original Prince of Persia, that's the first game that I remember, like video game that I remember like seeing. And it's like, wow, like my uncle who was a, you know, was a computer tech at the time when that was still like a fairly like new profession, um, especially in the in the developing world. It was, yeah, I was like, wow, this is this is crazy. This is like incredible. Um, After that, you know, Nintendo Entertainment System, stuff like uh, Super Mario Brothers. Um, and then with the Super Nintendo, you get stuff like Street Fighter 2. That was like a big, I think that was like the first communal video game that I've experienced. Because growing up in a culture that's like very social, you know, we would always play cards, we would play dominoes. I mentioned the yeah, from um, Parcheesi. Um, but it's, yeah, that was a game that, you know, all the kids would get around. Like if somebody had the Super Nintendo, they had that game. That was the house everybody was going to when there was like free time. And you're seeing like all the different characters and everything that's super stereotypical characters. But nonetheless, it's still like the fact that you see like different different um, people from different parts of the world being represented, even if you're not in the best <laughs> of light, you know, it's still like, it's like, wow, you know, you have like Blanca from, from Brazil, you have, you know, you have, you, know, you have Japan, you have the US, you have Hong Kong um, with Chung Li. It was just really, actually Chung Li, I think it's just straight China. I'm confused. Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, like how they have like the flags. It's uh, Fei Long is Hong Kong, which is like the Bruce Lee, like standing character. So it's, yeah, it's super, it's, yeah, it's super formative game. And the last one I'll give, it's, um, it's the Final Fantasy series was pretty formative too. Just seeing like a game that's at least for like the spectator predominantly story, um, has like so much story. Um, and I remember times going to this might I don't know this might sound I know this might sound odd to to you especially if you're like mainly you know U.S. like. Base, but in a lot of other countries for a long time, the main way that people would be able to play video games, you would have to go to these like video game cafes 
which is like somebody would would have like this shop and they'll have TVs and they'll have like different consoles, right? And they'll have a power generator. So you would go and I remember seeing people play stuff like Final Fantasy seven or eight, which at that point is like cutting edge, like technology. And you see, and you're just like stay there like for hours, just like see, but you know, you think about it now, it's like, my God, so boring. You're just watching them like, you know, turn-based battles for like how many hours just to get like a, you know, get a cutscene that you can't even read like this because it's not voice. So you can't even read like the, right. Cause it's all in, it's all in English. Cause all these are like either counterfeit copies, you know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. So yeah, that's one of it. Like I said, when it comes to tabletop stuff, analog games, that's always, that's also been something that always played, but I don't even think they'll like, the concept of it being a game wasn't so, like something like Domino's or Parcheesi would, or specific card games actually became apparent to me to much later in life. Cause that was just something that you just did. That was just part of like socializing like video games were like, that's a game because especially how solitary most of them were. That's like something you would do by yourself when you had free time, there was nothing to do, et cetera. Um, yeah, I mean, I would play dominoes with my grandmother, right? And we would talk. You know, she would tell me about her day. I would tell her about mine. Um, I wouldn't, you know, that's not the case if I was playing like Super Nintendo. I was just focusing on the screen, you know, and obviously sometimes even, you know, upset if somebody like would talk to me because I would like lose concentration and Mega Man would like fall into a pit to his, to his death. And it's like, no, how do we start this level? What? So, that's funny. Like honestly, that last one's kind of funny because I, when when thinking of the the question a little bit, there's a handful of things that kind of like swirled in my mind. Nothing, nothing like super super profound. I think you know initially, like playing some games on a console for the first time, primarily with my dad. Like those were like the memories that stuck out. So when we first got uh, the the NES. And like obviously Super Mario, and there was one. Oh my gosh, it was just like a little racing game. I honestly, I probably have the, it's in a box buried somewhere to the right of me, but I can't think of. It's like a micro machines racer, I think maybe the name of the game. So I have some memories of that too. But I do remember, like renting one of the Mega Man and just like binging it like none other. <laughs> I couldn't tell you which one. But that's funny that that you mentioned that game, and definitely not the the same situation. But um, I think you know, growing up, like in wanting to play games, like you know, going that idea of like going somewhere because somebody else is going to have like this console or this game, or even like a really kind of weird thing uh, too is there were. I don't know. I don't know when like the GameCube came out in the scope of my life, but McDonald's would have GameCubes in like these little rooms sometimes. And you could go and play. I think, I think the two games that I remember most were, were like smash and, and a Sonic game. And you would go in there and you would play, but they would be on, some time cycle you know 15 20 minutes where you'd be playing and all of a sudden it just start timing out and and restarting it but not the same thing but you you mentioning just kind of 
no, know, but I mean, Super Smash Brothers mainly was like a, that's a formative game as well. I was I was trying to keep it like closer to like childhood, but yeah. that's yeah, that's yeah. I remember that game coming out for the GameCube. I saved for over two years in anticipation for the GameCube and Melee. I actually bought Melee before I bought the GameCube. I bought it because that's like my commitment. It's like I get the game and I get a memory card. I have to commit to getting a GameCube. And then sure enough, like I did eventually, uh, my father bought me one. Forget it. It was the same year it came out. It was 2000, but much a little later, you know, because I think the GameCube came out in September of 2000, 2001 in the United States. And then, but mainly came out in December. So, and then a few weeks later, that's when I got like my GameCube after the, the release of that game. Yeah, I played that game to it. Like man, I yeah, I think that's I probably had like at least over five hundred hours on that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, funny. I didn't. I probably didn't have my GameCube uh, until way later. I was, I don't know. Again, kind of one of those things. If if I had to like pick, well, I didn't have. I don't know. I mostly grew up on PlayStation consoles and. And then would try to like supplement with friends, and so obviously a decent amount of uh, Smash because that's one of those games that always gets played, but not not five hundred hours. Yeah, no, I mean I had a PlayStation Two. I mean that during the previous console generation, it was the PlayStation was the console that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really. I thought the sixty four. I didn't like it. I didn't like how it looked. Like I was mentioning before you know before the podcast started it's like i'm very keen on like aesthetics like but the gamecube just looked weird to me <laughs> like and it's like we're not like in a bad way but it's like it's like so somebody's gonna take time and you know this is how like screwed up in my mind i was even as like you know as like a teenager it's like so somebody's gonna take time to make something to try to sell and it's gonna look like a cube <laughs> It's gonna have a handle, and the colors are like, it's like blindingly bright colors, with four slots where you put four controllers in there. It's like I got, I got, I got, I got to own that. <laughs> it's like PlayStation and whatever Xbox. That Xbox looked like one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. <laughs> but it's the PlayStation's just like, yeah, you know, it's like it's sleek, but you know, it's not. It's not purple, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. You know, Prince is purple, so it's like it has to be good. <laughs> so. I, I like the look of the the GameCube controllers too. I think the sixty four controllers, they have they look interesting, but they're weird. They're weird in a, in an almost off putting way. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I think yeah, I think sixty four was a low point for the look of the of the hardware but i think i mean that's a i think that's an issue where nintendo lost a lot of their um like one of their key um engineers gunpei yokoi during that period so like it trans it's also like a weird time for nintendo too but i think the gamecube was more going leaning into aesthetically at least some of like the strong suits of uh, of the nes and and snes uh, Super Nintendo being SNES, S- yeah. For those that don't know, and 
Nintendo Entertainment System being the NES as well. So it's which is really neat. I mean, it's I mean, I have a lot, I have a lot to say. I'm I'm currently working on a on a pretty big academic paper on on design of like Nintendo products. So we'll see how that turns out. So you, you said that's uh, an academic paper. Where is is that going to be like accessible once once it's all done? Yeah, one thing that I try to do when I do anything academic is that it is um, available like open access. Um, I know a big issue with academic publications is like GC through a paywall. Um, one, it's bad for the one writing it because like three people are going to read that. <laughs> and then also it's, um, I mean, not necessarily what is a political position, but it's also just, I think, just like basic decency, right? If you're going through this process of creating like research and essentially putting knowledge out there, it should be accessible. Like it should be, like, it's just not like to me, that's, yeah. If I'm going to like interview folks, if I'm going to spend countless hours like reading and then like stuff out there, um, it has, it has to be something that it can be shared to be like made useful, um, which just talks about my writing period. Like even if it's not academic, if it's more, you know, on the quote unquote, like approachable, popular, like sense, it's, it really becomes something once somebody else reads it. Like if I'm just writing it, it's useless an exercise, but um, I don't know if you're going to bleep this out, but it can be somewhat also like masturbatory, right? Where I'm just like, yeah, I'm really smart. My brain, my brain's just like oozing ideas, you know, and then, but then it's like, if nobody's like engaging with it, even if it's like one person, that's like fine, you know, but it has to be that, that engagement is what makes it like worthwhile. I mean, that's why we write, right? That's why we communicate is for somebody else to, you know, hear it. E even if it's not necessarily like the right conversation, if nobody verbally Tells he's like, oh yeah, I read that. Or it's just the fact that it's out there and like disseminates, right? It's I always think um one one of the one of my biggest influences uh is jazz jazz composer Wayne Shorter, who passed away last year. And he had uh and he would always describe how when he would play, he would play mainly saxophone, right? You're like you're blowing air in you know into the instrument and then the air comes out and it rearranges like molecules forever right like that that reaction just moves on and just like changes like the world and like how we interact with even if we can't see it i mean if i don't know if that's actually like holds up scientifically but you know it's it's a gorgeous i think it's a beautiful like idea to like consider and i kind of think of writing the same way as well or or any any endeavor that one engages and it doesn't even have to be quote-unquote a creative endeavor so it can be something else like a plumber who goes into your house and like fixes you know your sink i mean it's probably even better because that's actually practical too like it's <laughs> but then also you know all this other stuff so oh no i think that that message that you outlined is uh, truly beautiful, and you don't have to worry. I'm, I won't go back and and censor that out. I think it, think it tied to your point uh, extremely well. So, <laughs> no, no worries there. Oh, awesome. So, 
kind of kind of hopping back to to Tetris a little bit. I mentioned the the episode where Liz asked you at the end things some things that you were playing that that you didn't deem uh, a waste of time because well that was kind of based on some previous conversation, but some of the things that you uh, talked or said about Tetris that it is in, incredible time spent that it enriched your life and that in five to 15 minutes uh, you can get a full experience. Some of those like direct quotes, some just kind of me adding a couple of words, but on the, on the whole, uh, that's what you uh, said. Um, all like, and with all that said too, um, the game is pretty abstract. So your words about the game still make sense to me, though. So how could you best describe uh, that overall feeling and what bigger themes come across when playing the game, if any? Uh, is that necessary? And things along that line. So uh, you, you gave me, you gave me a, <laughs> that's like a, that's like an Otani fireball at, at, at me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, let's let's see. Let's see how I can answer this. I mean, no, I think Tetris is one of the true I mean you can quote me on this. This is one of the it's one of the true like masterpieces of of when it comes to digital game design. Um partly because of its simplicity, but then also because of the way that it enraptures and takes a hold of of the player. It's a game that you can, I mean, just in mere seconds, even if you've never played a game before, you understand like what to do. I mean, you have you have the 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 tetraminos are falling down, right? And you and even if you don't move, if you don't move them, you just see boop, and it just stacks and stacks and stacks, and eventually you get a game over if it reaches all the way to the top. So what is the other thing you have to use? Move them. Very simple input, right? And the main way a lot of people first engaged with this was in the Game Boy, which is a fairly, not fairly, it's very very rudimentary, very simplistic, like the sound when it comes to input. You have the D-pad, up, down, right, left, and then you have the A and B buttons. I mean, and you have like the star and select button in the middle, but whatever. The only thing that's really important for you you as a player is going to be the D-pad and the A and B button for like rotating the piece to try to get a specific fit into it. And like I said before, it just seems like something that like we've always done, which we have as well. I mean, um, the designer of Tetris, Alexei Pajetnov, he, I mean, he was inspired by puzzle games that he would play in the Soviet Union. Um, very different in nature, but the inspiration of trying to fit specific pieces into, into specific spots with their own like limitations and you have to get specific like wedges or corners just right. Um, it's, I mean, e even outside of the game, it's something that we've done. You know, there's always that expression like when somebody knows how to pack or something, they say like <laughs> some, which I kind of hate because they're like, oh, like, oh, you're playing Tetris. Oh, you're really good at Tetris. I mean, my wife always says that 
to friends like when I'm like helping them pack or something like oh he's oh he's a great organizer he's good at Tetris yes I love Tetris and I'm okay at Tetris but it's not that's not why I'm doing it that's we've done this before Tetris was invented but that's what I mean it's something that just seems like it's always been a part of it that it just subsumes anything else that's even like relate like just vaguely related to it it's like oh so you, you're gonna stack books on top of each other oh look you're playing Tetris like you know it's it's just yeah it's really like a it's really like a miraculous like design choice um I'll go into like inside baseball here on it so I so I covered an exhibit done by the Museum of Modern Art here in New York um and some of the curators were actually telling me like details of how they got Tetris as part of like the permanent the permanent collection of the museum but they wanted the most quote-unquote pure version of Tetris so what they so what were they able to do is that they got a pageant off actually designed redesigned Tetris just as it was created when he first made it in 84 right when those Soviet computers back when he was still working you know for this for the Soviet government and that's a version of Tetris if you go to MoMA and periodically when they have it out, that is the version that you would play. It's this re essentially one-to-one -one reconstruction by Pajanov of the game. And that's the most rudimentary version of Tetris. And it's still fun and it's still great, right? It's one of those things that, you know, so many other games reiterate upon themselves or, you know, or build on it to the point that the most recent one is the best version to the point that makes all the other ones obsolete and just flat out unplayable. Yeah, the most recent version of Tetris, um, well, at least the the great, the most recent great version of Tetris, which is Tetris Effect, is, in my opinion, the best, arguably the greatest game ever made, but I'm biased, right? <laughs> but it's but if you go back and play the original Tetris, there's still a lot to be had. There's fun to be had. Um and I mean, what, what can be said about a game that can be played by everyone and yet be enjoyed and also have a, a very a very scalable um gameplay when it comes to like your skill. Uh one thing one thing that's fascinating about Tetris, it starts off as like a simple puzzle game. The better you get at it and the more difficult the game actually becomes, the more lines you clear, it becomes a dexterity game. So it just flips, like completely flips. Like you're not, you're not, if you're like on whatever, like 30 minutes into the game and you've cleared God knows how many hundreds of lines, like you're not, you're not like focusing on like, oh, I'm going to, no, you're just trying to like clear that. You're trying to like do, like move the pieces to a specific way to like get it in there. It's like you're, it's, you know, it's, it becomes, it becomes just something next, just absolutely next level. Just look at the, how it made the news earlier this year with um you know with somebody actually quote unquote um you know beating Tetris um Willis Gibson which you know for, for the listeners here my household we stand Willis Gibson in my household he's a hero for <laughs> you know for that for the feat so, but it's you know at that level you know it's not it's not the same game it's not the game that most of us like play. That's yeah. That's, <laughs> oh, yeah. You 
Oh, so you you kind of some of my thoughts for some later things you're like hitting at too. So I'll try to like uh, expand upon those when we get there. But I mean, I think I mean I know the way that you uh, captured your your thoughts on Tetris and what makes it such a good game are a million times more eloquent than than I'll be able to get it out there. But yeah, I think I think everything you said about the game is is on on point and you know i think like you mentioned in that switch you know coming from like a little bit of a little more plotting uh strategy to that dexterity as well um that you get these moments too where you get yourself out of like a bind you 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 know get that one piece into that spot that you didn't think was going to be possible you you kind of pushed away the, that pressure, that anxiety for like a second, but then it's back, you know, <laughs> like, like a split second later. So I, I don't know, you know, from a, from like a life standpoint, I think maybe that just hits on a lot of the, the feelings that we have in some of the activities we do too, but. No, yeah. I mean, if we're just going to talk about life in general, I mean, there's the, I mean, there's there's a whole like now like phenomenon now that's called like the Tetris effect, like based on um actually like research done by um, uh, I think it's Stickgold, Stick, Robert Stickgold, and and a few other people. They they wrote this paper in in the year two thousand, if I remember correctly. It was called it's like it's called like replaying the game um. This is going to be the academic word of the day right here that I'm about to say. It's a hypnagogic uh, images in in normals and amnesiacs, right? That's the that's in, and that's where the term Tetris effect comes from. It's where people who play something like Tetris, even if it's just for uh, you know just for like a few minutes, like it's such a it captures our cognitive abilities just so well that you would you you would even when you're not playing the game you're seeing the game like and then you start shaping like the way that you do things like towards it um to the point too that you would even have like dreams hence like the 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 hypnagogic term because that means like it's applying to like sleep so it's like so when you're sleeping you're like replaying the game as which i've definitely Definitely had that. I mean, my very first article I wrote for Pop Matters actually discusses Tetris. I mean, it was it was I covered mainly two games. It was a um the the Squaresoft title um Chrono Trigger, um, which might be you know, might be known to some. It's a it's an RPG game that came out for the Super Nintendo, um, which had essentially quote unquote dream team of like developers. You got um Hironobu Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy. And then also um, you had the creator of Dragon Quest and Yuji Hori and a few others who worked together to make this like, you know, build this like the, the end all be all of it. And, but I also covered Tetris there because I, I was talking about essentially doing like traumatic experiences, you know, playing games for different purposes, like, you know, Chrono Trigger is a very different game than Tetris, but what one gets from, you know, from engaging, from engaging in these games. And I talked about how 
I was in a pretty severe car accident in, in 2017. Um, like, you know, really traumatic. Like I had trouble just like even walking along like the street where there was a car. I couldn't get like in a car because I would just like picture the accident like all the time, especially almost like in the intersection. Like it got to points where I would even like almost like break down. Like, like I couldn't drive because if I would drive, like I would see it. I would see the accident as I'm going in. And obviously that's very dangerous when you're driving. Um, but I would play a little bit of Tetris, like 10 minutes a day or something like that. And just because it's so all encompassing, it just got my mind off that I stopped like reliving the accident just for those 10 minutes. And eventually that helped me dissipate. And there's been, there's been studies done to this. I mean, it's, the, the science is still out on that, but it's, but for me, it was definitely, it definitely something that helped. And I, and I helped use that, you know, the Tetris effect in that, in that article, um, just to, just to highlight like the effects, like the importance of, let's call it escapism, right? Um, when it comes to like dealing with traumatic events. So, I mean, that's a direct correlation to the part of your question regarding like life, probably more, probably more serious and somber than, than expected, but you know, it's, it's there, right? I mean, I'm, you know, we're talking about game scene, right? Your podcast is about games like tabletop games and everything, but it's like, people should know that there's a reason that we play these things just besides, you know, it being whatever fun, which is really important, you know. Um, I know, so there's this guy, Cas Caspian Whistler out in the UK. He actually makes um, a pretty awesome publication called A Profound Waste of Time, which it's, uh, it's on this, its third volume now. Um, but just that name, it covers games, but it's like a profound waste of time. I think that that punts, you know, just says it beautifully what it is. It's like, yeah, it's like you can argue we're wasting our time. We can be doing something else that's better, but it's still it's still like profound. You know, it's still like important, um, you know, and don't, and we don't want to be dismissive of time, especially for socializing. Right. I know we're talking about. As specific for a very like solitary, like chances, you know, playing like, especially like video games tend to be that, but it's like, if you're talking about tabletop games, right, you're, you are spending time with other people as you're playing. And that's not, that's not nothing. That's nothing to, you know, to scoff at, especially now when people are more and more like socially isolated than, than ever. So that's very important. So keep on playing. Yeah. Well, definitely don't have to convince me to keep playing. And, and you mentioned, that your response was probably a little bit uh, more somber or, or heavy than I, perhaps I was expecting, but I, I cannot imagine, you know, a more uh, real and, and, or, you know, better uh, answer to, you know, like what it meant to you and, and what, what it, it can do, what games can do and, and how it just like really helped you out. So, well, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, first and foremost, so well, from something <laughs> very serious to uh, perhaps a, a little a little less serious. Uh, I don't want to. Uh, I, I here here's my thought. I don't want to try to suck blood out of uh, perhaps bloodless corpse, but I've listened to your words on Vampire Survivors, and I read, <laughs> I read your review too, and 
and about as much as possible, uh, I agree with uh, your sentiment. I, I think it's one of the games that I binged. You know, I heard about it. It's, you know, it's like, it's, it's, I mean, there are cool things. I, I won't like, you know, say that it's all bad. And I know that you don't say it's all bad uh, either, but, you know, so a few bucks as one person made it. There are some neat things about it, but I definitely, you know, burned out uh, on it. My editor gave gave the <laughs> gave the game an eight. I don't know if you noticed that, right? Like yep. you read my review and then it's an eight, <laughs> and it's like what? Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't care for ratings and stuff. I mean, I write. I don't I don't like. I'm not a computer, so you know, I'm not like, trying to come up with. But when I saw it, I thought that was like perfect, actually, because I mean, it's a great game. But sorry, I'll, I'll let you finish. I didn't mean to No, I was I was kind of uh, I was trying to frame that question by starting it off with some of your uh, vampiric uh, writing about it. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you know, this kind of question is is Tetris versus uh, Vampire Survivors because it's funny. I see some similarities perhaps earlier in the game, but then then I think you get to a point, and, and you kind of mentioned this already uh, to a degree, but, you know, I think Tetris Ziggs and maybe uh, Vampire Survivor Zags, but, like, all in all, like, how would you kind of describe why why Tetris is great and then why, why maybe Vampire Survivors is okay and then and then falls apart? Or isn't as great. Well, I would say that. Well, I have to get. Well, I'll preface this is by saying going back to my point of like the way that I write. So I use. So I talk about the thing to talk about something else. So in this case, I talked about Vampire Survivor to talk about essentially the nefarious nature of like gamification, and specifically as seen like with the advent of you know of smartphones with, you know, a lot of like free to play, like clickbait games, essentially that you just aren't constantly getting like this, like dopamine hit, like constantly considerably, even though you're doing very little in the sense of it. I mean, Tetris does something. I mean, it's part of the reason why it's the appeal and it grabs you so much. It's so simplistic. And then you just clear that line. You're like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, and it's and it can happen you know, often can happen often. And then you get that. So in that sense, they're similar. I guess my issue with Vampire Survivor and games of that ilk is that it's, and it's not even that it's a bad game. That's not what I'm saying. Or even, I think it works well for what it does. It's just not the type of stuff that if I had a choice, you know, as a player, I would want to sink my time in because it feels almost like manipulative right it feels like if it's like it feels like it's like it knows us as humans right it's like creatures of habit right psychologically it's like okay this is what people want right it's not even like a conversation it's not like you and i had a conversation and you know and ryan you're like okay Luis, what type of stuff you want to see like in a game and i tell you and it's like okay i'm gonna like fine-tune a game for you Right. No, it's like it's like somebody in a lab was like, this works. People work this. This is like the, and then they release and it's like, we're done. We're just dead. Like there's nothing we can do. Like we can't we can't. There's very little we can do as like people to actually like 
not playing, right? It's like, you know, it, it's like you're really, you know, you're get, you're lacing drugs on like our food. And then obviously we're like, we can't stop eating it. We just only want that because we're like addicted. Um, so that that's really like my, I mean, I didn't write it that way in my, <laughs> uh, in my review, but that's really it. That's like, that's my issue. And I don't like that. I really don't. I don't. Um, it works very well, but I found myself, like the game itself, like it does everything hard, but I couldn't, I just couldn't stop like playing it for a while. And I was like, why is that? Like, why is that? Because it because I'm like, I'm just actually so engaged with it. Like it's like it's like something that it does. It's either like narrative or like gameplay. And it's like, no, it's like I just want to see these numbers go up. Right. And I want to hear the 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 flashy sound effect and it does that very well and stuff like that i you know i i will you know I, i'm always gonna have like my you know my ears go up and it's like oh no what's going on you know yeah yeah i think yeah i mean like yeah your review said it and you said it uh like just now too i think it's probably one of those things where maybe even maybe even if you're just playing uh the game early on as as like an exploration into it you know seeing what it does seeing some of those combos uh, of the items that you're getting and the way that they turn into super combos that you know annihilate everything on the screen to the point where you know you you said it in the review that the game you can get to a point where the game is playing itself and you don't have to do anything Whereas, you know, Tetris, as the game goes on, it's getting harder and harder, uh, which is definitely a big, big difference in the two. But maybe, maybe early on, you know, Vampire, Vampire Survivors is, has some of those things that are engaging to you, but then, then the hooks are sunk in and then, then you're done for if you keep well, going down that path. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Ryan, because I actually... I didn't think about this until you until you made that point, which is like, yeah, the, the better you do at Tetris, the harder it gets to the point of like, it actually becomes like a cap for certain players. Where it's like, you just can't, like, this is your limit. Like, you know, the pieces are just falling down way too fast. And, you know, your reflexes or, you know, your your lack of like practice or knowledge of the game, you just, you're just going to lose, right? Um, if you get whatever, let's say like, like, like level 10, which is actually like a speed in the game. Like that might be your cap. And you get there and it's like, oh, that's like done. Right. Vampire Survivor, you actually play to make the game easier. And not in the sense of necessarily just even skill level, just like you, like the game actually like gets easier. As you were saying, like it plays itself, which I don't have an issue with that. I like, I'm a big fan of, um, of like, uh, of Japanese um, designed role-playing games, which, you know, a lot of people have issues with them because they see them as like, oh, quote unquote, grindy games, or it's like, you just like grind to like get over, you know, like a difficult like challenge, which is like, I think that's overstated, but I I like that when you play, you just play, play something and it's like, you feel like you very few obstacles, right? You just, in that but like i said vampire survivor it did feel to me like there was just aspects of it because like, it's just so ingrained with with this like 
dopamine hits like every millisecond. Like it's just like I really felt like it just it's a design based on some really like nefarious and I'm just gonna, you know, and and quite frankly, like sick stuff, like stuff that like I know that's coming under a lot of scrutiny now when it comes to the way that we use like smartphones, right? And you know, and the addiction that can come from from these things. Um and it's it's in tune to that. It's in tune to that. Now I'm not gonna say that. I mean, and Tetris, I mean, you, you can argue, you can argue that maybe it does, but it's not it doesn't come from that principal philosophy though. And like I said before, that's a game that I can play five minutes, even like once a week, just five minutes. And it's like, I got I got what I wanted. Right. Um, I didn't feel that way about Vampire Survivor. I'm certain that there's other people that have, you know, the self-control of, you know, of a of a 200 year old yogi who lives up in the Himalayas <laughs> and like they're like five minutes of Vampire Survivor. And it's like, that's all I need. Five, five minutes once a year. I'm good. I, I don't need that anymore. And then they move on. Well, if you exist, if you're listening to this, thank you for your service. Um to, to self-discipline um that's not me though yes and and congratulations to to those people too but yeah i i was not one of those people i was probably more in your situation where yeah it was chasing chasing those builds chasing the destruction of everything and and yeah it's weird it gets to a certain point where it is either too easy or it gets to the point where you've built built up your your character or your items for the round and then it just gets to the point where you can't do anything and you lose so it's like the same difference once it gets to the point yeah whatever enough enough of like i said we it was already probably bloodless in your in your eyes when i uh brought it up anyway but we can move on to a couple final tetris game related questions so i kind of uh mentioned this to you in some of our initial messaging but you know i think something maybe maybe it's not the best one-to-one but i mean i think you know pinball as a game is is cool like i like some pinball games uh for sure and i think maybe in a similar way that you know tetris can be cool too so i i played the game uh yoku's island express which took that pinball mechanisms or just took pinball and then mashed up with a kind of that metroidvania stuff uh too and i thought it was cool i really like that game a uh, big fan of it do you feel as if uh kind of like having this you know fixed loop type of gameplay i feel like pinball could be and tetris could be do you think that could work for tetris mechanisms because <laughs> i want that game i don't know it's just stuck in my head now that's a good question. And I've been thinking about that when I, when, you know, when you send me the, that question, the email, I mean, there's a lot of games that do that break that have like a quote unquote fixed loop element, but then as part of like the wider game, like certain aspects of it, I don't know of any that are, well, there's one, there is one what's actually a series that actually does the Tetris thing on top of other stuff. But it's also called Tetris. It's called Puyo Puyo Tetris, which is like a mix between Tetris and another puzzle game. It's a Japanese <laughs> puzzle game called Puyo Puyo. And there's a verse and there's like a mode 
of it where it's it's so dastardly. It's like you have like Tetris and you're playing for like two minutes and then it switches to Puyo Puyo. And then yeah, and then it just goes back and forth and you're trying to like do everything. It's actually it's pretty neat. It's like I think it's probably like I think the closest thing to describe it is like you you're in a you're in a very rush and important situation and you have to speak two languages. Like you have to like go from speaking to one person to your right in one language and then to your left in another. It's still it's still like the same root language. So it's still like a romance language, but it's very different in that word. And that so that's that that's like the example I can give. There's other games that do different things. Um I was thinking of something like um Square Enix's Dragon Quest Eleven, which has a mini game within the game, where you, where you're essentially forging, you usually have like a forge and you're forging like your items, and it becomes like this like, you're trying to like, it's not really a rhythm game, but you're like pressing stuff to try to like create like this like proper shape, and it has like a great stuff, and it's like oh kind of, it looks like Tetris, it doesn't actually. The more I think about it, but, um, I mean this. There's probably other stuff there too, but that's not, I can't think of anything of anything else from the top of my head. I know board games do, well, because it's not, because Tetris is real time, but board, there's a lot of board games that do like a lot of different mechanisms, essentially like different games within like the games, like a lot of Euro games like have this, right? Where you just have like, you have like a rondelle for like action selection or for resource gathering, but then you use that to like, you know, to build, you know, to you use that to like gather like specific items to, to like trade for something else. But then like the track is like some weird track that like goes like two ways, like one the other way. And then when you meet, when both your tracks meet, the game ends or something. And, it, you know, video games don't, at least not, you know, they don't visualize the gameplay the same way too. So sometimes it can be a lot more difficult to like discern that at least from like first glance, unless like you're really like diving in into it. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, funny. I that game. I think when you mentioned some of the weird kind of initial communication, you threw back some of the kind of like Tetris inspired games you you told me about Puyo Puyo, but I didn't. So I looked into some of those games, but I didn't know that there was part where like it that one had its own game and then it mixed in Tetris like all at the same time. So yeah, Puyo Puyo Tetris. There's the original one and there's Puyo Puyo Tetris two. So there's two of them. They're out there. You know, they're out there. They're gonna suck up your time. And no, they're good. It's good stuff. I'm not a huge fan of Puyo Puyo though. So I think Tetris works. I think I like Tetris more. Yeah, and and you know, I think probably most people um, would agree. Maybe maybe more people need to try out Puyo Puyo. Maybe I'll look into it. Uh, no, they more. should. <laughs> they should. It's 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 fantastic. It's great. It's really great. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably the best puzzle game that Sega has. Um, yeah, I, I stand by that. I'm thinking it's better than Columns. It's better. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely poke into that and maybe in some alternate future where I learn how to design games, I will make my Tetris version of Yoku's Island Express. Well, I'm going to get I'm going to get right on it. 
Oh, there is one like that. I, I remember now. Um, it's actually an Adult Swim published game. Um, I forget. It's something. I forget the name, but it has something to do with like. I'm blanking out on the name, and I don't want to Google it. Yeah. But it's 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 essentially like a cooking composition. So it goes into like almost like Metrovania gameplay, where you're, but you're gathering ingredients, and then you have a cooking portion, and then the cooking portion is you're matching different, you're matching same colored elements to create ingredients. So it goes from this like action, you know, action um adventure way to this just puzzle element to it. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I I'll, I'll I'll once once we're done, I'll definitely Google that one too, but there's something out there that is kind of kind of along those lines and that has me intrigued for sure. Okay, final final specific Tetris video game uh question and this is you mentioned that the Tetris effect is your your favorite version. So, you get to create your ideal Oh, perfect. Thank you. Uh, your your perfect scenario to play your favorite version. So uh, your favorite platform, location, what's what's your perfect play of Tetris? Yeah, I think if we're going to get down to like the essence <laughs> of what the game is, yeah, it would be it would be Tetris Effect Connected, which is like the newest version of that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different types of Tetris. I mean, I bet you a lot of people in the audience haven't heard of Weltris or have they heard of Hatris or Wordtris? Those are all Tetris games <laughs> made by Pajinov with specific spinoffs. Hatris, it's like this actual hats and you put stack hats on top of each other. And Wordtris <laughs> is a word game, but with the concept of Tetris. I don't like those. <laughs> I like the original stuff. So yeah, um, Tetris Effect is, I think it's probably the greatest thing made for like uh, as a video game. So it's made by um by Monstars and Resonier, who are two Japanese developers. Um and it's and it's actually held by um this designer. Tetsuo Mitsuguchi, who actually made Luminous, which is another incredible puzzle game. Um, so Tetris Effect mixes like an, an audio-visual experience with Tetris, which you already would think, right? Because you already it is already such a trance-like game, but then actually making it an actual trance-like experience, like when you're actually like engaging, right, with the music, with the visuals. It really is. It's it's phenomenal. And best way to play it is, you know, just typical controls. The way it was, you know, once it the design was perfected, you have like a D pad and you know simple like A B like buttons for being able to spin like your pieces and, you know, under some shoulder buttons on the right. So on the switch is fine, or if you own like a Steam Deck or something like that. I mean, you can play Tetris anywhere. That's the great thing about it, though. You can play it on your, you know, on your browser. You can play it on your smartphone, which you're you're a heathen if you're playing that with touch 
spin control. <laughs> so, you know, I can't, you know, not everyone can, you know, we don't, not everybody has the luxury, you know. So if that's the only way to experience it, you know, go right ahead. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Once, once I, I mean, I've, I've played a good amount of Tetris throughout the course of my life. And, and it's probably been a little bit of time before I started, you know, thinking about, this conversation with you where I, I definitely messed around with it on browser uh, a little bit. And then I, this week, uh, purchased Tetris effect connected for, for steam and everything. I, 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 I don't have enough experience to say like everything that you can say about it, but it's awesome. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> thank for you. that. Thank you for, yeah, we have to let them know that that's what we want. So thank you. Yes, it's oh, it's so great. I mean, immediately, like you said, the the audio element of it, just the first level where you start moving the pieces, and then the audio is changing, and then and then it evolves as the uh, as the the level does too. It's it's great. I I did something that might be hmm, a little blasphemous to you. I went in, and I don't know why with the rotating A and B or the I don't know what it is on Steam Deck. It's just still a and b to me just in my brain that's fine where i switched the rotating to the d-pad and had slow drop and fast drop on the on the buttons oh that's neat why do you what is that like just how like naturally like mentally like it works for you like it's more natural for you to play that way yeah i i i mean i i was i was i started off and that's what i was you know like inclined to do so i was just dropping the pieces on accident by <laughs> rotating them with the d-pad okay oh yeah because there is you do the that's how you do the hard drop no it makes mm -hmm. sense and i mean that's great i mean that's i think one of the great innovations of uh, oh now but of, of more like modern like games and consoles is like you can put like your in you know you have you decide like your input controls now like how you want to put that and that's great it helps one if one way is better for you that's great and then also it also speaks just to just straight up just accessibility maybe someone has you know you you might only have just like one arm to be able to play a game if that way you can map the controls in one way that's that's a great thing to do so it's yeah I, that's great more power to you yeah and <laughs> Well, that's what makes it such a great game, though, right? Because it's like it's so simple, button-wise. Like you don't the mapping. It's you know you're not like using like the the seven like shoulder buttons <laughs> and like the you know the foot paddle, and you have to like hit your light switch every time <laughs> like something happens, right? It's like really you can just play with just like a few buttons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's an awesome uh, note too on and the accessibility too of the the button mapping and with the game in general that you know it has that possibility just to really be on one side, um, however it is that you need the game to be. I like that. All right. Well, we definitely deep dove uh, the game a bit, and now now we can kind of uh, get to. And and this some of these things have been touched on already too, so we can we can see where we're going with this. But going into the conversation, we we had a little bit of homework. You 
recommended that I check out the video game histori historian's video on the history of Tetris. And then I, I recommended you checking out the 2023 film. So for you coming from like knowing the background of the game, well, probably having studied it a, a ton, uh, how do you feel as if uh, the movie represented the history? I mean, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a Hollywood film. So it's got to go with that. I mean, I think, yeah, I don't want to, I'm not going to get too much into the representation, like how I feel about it. I think, I think it's, it's success. It's that it's, it does circle around like something that is like real, you know, like the condition that it was made, that the game was made under. And definitely also just it's like what made it special. I mean, nobody was, at least as far as we know, nobody was like getting killed for, you know, you have like KGB, like spies, like, you know, and Gorbachev, and, you know, and Gorbachev himself, it's like, in, so that's like, no, that guy was worried about coups and stuff at that point. Like, that was, um, but yeah, it does it it is true when it comes to aspects of you know the the social economic structure of the Soviet Union was like deeply changing during the time that the game became that there was essentially like a bidding war for the game, right? People were scrambling. And then also the fact that the Western and and Japanese um you know game companies and and distributors were trying, you know, they were their perception of, you know, what the Soviets like wanted because being a, you know, a quote-unquote like communist country, it's like, you know, they don't really care about money. We can just give them, you know, whatever. Like they want knowledge or they want like other stuff, you know, that's all they need. It's like, like no, no, no. Even you know, money is not like, even in, this is also too much inside baseball, but like even in like, <laughs> even in even in theoretical or even like real like socialist or like communist countries money's a thing like it's a like you know so it's like nobody's gonna be like it's like oh so i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you this like painting not that that's what's done in a book but it's like not i'm gonna exchange this like book i'm gonna give you these books or i can give you a million dollars it's like i'll take a million dollars <laughs> We have we have those books in the library, you know. So, um, no, it's good. I know there's a few things that I know. There's some criticisms of the film regarding the casting of it, specifically like Hank Hank Rogers, um, being played by I forget the actor's name in the film. Taron Edgerton. Yes, I mean you know he's he's like a conventionally like attractive guy. It makes sense why and. You know, there was input by both um, Hank Rogers and for people who don't know Hank Rogers being um, the person who didn't discover Tetris, but really like brought it to Nintendo, which I mean, for all intents and purposes, might as well be the person who described who, who, um, well, he actually had it and um, actually had distributing rights before the Nintendo stuff for specific other consoles, but then eventually got it to Nintendo. And we said before, the rest is history. And, um, but 
I mean, they they were consulted. They didn't seem to have like issues with that. And it makes sense. I mean, it's fine. I don't really, that didn't bother me too much. It was, I mean, nothing really, the, the historical representation of it didn't really bother me. It's just more of like considering it on the point of like a story, right? It's like, if you're writing a screenplay and you're writing something, right? If you're quote unquote good, at it you shouldn't have to do all this like sensational stuff right it's like kgb spies and all that to make it interesting i can think of from my mind like on paper fairly sounding fairly like boring films about acquisition or stuff that when it actually is executed it's like riveting right um i think a lot of it has to do with audience expectations um so the film is based off i mean it's not explicitly stated, but it's based off of um, Dan Ackerman's book, The Tetris Effect, which I have here. Um, and I guess full disclosure for the audience. So Dan Ackerman is, uh, so he he's, uh, he's, he's actually uh, a member of the New York Video Games Critics Circle with me. So yeah, I know him. Um, and I don't, I think it's still, I think the the case is to act if he sued Apple and the makers of the film um, because he says that they essentially plagiarized his work. Like the whole narrative structure of, you know, making like Hank Rogers, like the central hero, essentially. And like, not necessarily that there's KGB spies, but the whole like intrigue and just like the weird, like, um, suppressive like element of, around like trying to you know get the rights to the game in Soviet Russia during the time of you know what would eventually become the the revolution of the Soviet Union right that's that's how the book is framed right but yeah I mean that's where I'm gonna that's where I'm gonna leave it when it comes to that too um, but it's definitely. I definitely encourage people to read. If you like the film, um, definitely check out the book. It's really, it's really well written. Um, it's and it it goes it goes into some aspects of that I found like really interesting that the movie just didn't touch on for whatever reason, either time or, you know, it's some really interesting stuff about like the the actual like the computer hardware that the Soviets use. I mean, you know, they made that game on like. On, on a, your your wireless mouse probably has like more, more power <laughs> than, than those computers that were used to make that. So, oh yeah, super interesting. I'm I'm definitely uh, really intrigued about that book now, and I'm I'm a slow reader with a big list, but that that will get added to it uh, for certain. And yeah, you bring up a lot of interesting points. So I you know, obviously are kind of like experiences were flipped. I mean, I've, in my life, I've uh, played Tetris, uh, enjoyed playing Tetris, but I had next to no, you know, knowledge of the the crazy uh, history uh, behind it. So then I see this movie that does all these different things and, and definitely, you know, sensationalized uh, some of the way, or some of the ways that these events did happen to make it, you know, more, more Hollywood. I was like, whoa, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> and then I watched uh, the, you know, the video that talked about the history. And I feel like just the, the timeline that was presented in the video was definitely, you know, 
more broad. It, it presented years before, you know, the movie picked up in, in the first place. And then there were some of those parts that seemed like a little uh, incongruous between the, the, the film and then that too. But I guess like, I feel like it was one of those things if I had as much like knowledge and, and investment and then probably went to the film, I probably would have been uh, disappointed, but nonetheless, it made me interested in, in the game more. And, and now I definitely want to read that book uh, for certain too. So. Well, there's, there's a, if time is, I mean, the book is like 200 pages yeah. and it actually reads pretty fast. It reads, it actually does read somewhat like a, like a techno spy thriller okay. in a way. Um, but there's also a graphic novel on Tetris. It's called, it's like people who make games Tetris by Box Brown. Um, that's also there. Um, and if there's, there's other stuff. There's um, the infamous book Game Over, um, which also has like just parts throughout the book about Tetris as well. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, I, I don't think the, the history of the game, uh, as, as much of secret is just something that I, well, chalk it up to one of the millions of things that I just didn't know. And, no, uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of the, it's, it is one of those stories that the more you look into the, just the more bonkers, like you, it's, it gets like, just, yeah, it's, the movie doesn't go into it too much, actually. It just keeps it, but just like the complexities of like the distribution rights of that, it's it's just it, it it's it's just yeah it it's 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 like the legal the legal rights version of astrophys. If you're trying to learn astrophysics, if you're like a three year old, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, hopefully, um, you know, the the film just kind of had an effect of just, you know, at least tipping off people to wanting to look into it more because at the very least, that's what it that's what it did for me. So. OK, we'll hop. So we, we got kind of like the a little bit of the film in the story and now me a lot of. Uh, new resources to look into the story through different other different like lenses in in a book and graphic novel and that's awesome but now uh, you mentioned it earlier that tetris was inspired by a puzzle game and then kind of in turn the game has influenced many board games uh, whether it's through you know the tetromino pieces or polyomino pieces or any kind of iteration of that puzzle style. So I guess the first question is, do you like and or play any of these games? Uh, meaning when it comes to like tabletop games, right? Yeah, sorry, yeah. The, by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, yeah, I mean, I play, I play a lot of board games. I have a lot in my house. And um, I guess for people that don't know, um, so I also do work and contribute to an, uh, a YouTube channel that does board game coverage, historical games, but it's uh, Fred Serval's Homo Ludens, which you should definitely check out. And I've 
been in several podcasts that we've, you know, talk about specific games there. And I've done videos on the channel. We have one coming out, actually. We're recording it in in about a week and a half. I mean, when it comes out. It might be live recording, so I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's to be good. No, there's definitely a lot of cool stuff there. Um, those possibly I've never played any, I've never played that game that Pajanov was I forget the name of it. Um I think it's like Polymino, something like that. Yeah. Um, but you're just like you're just getting shapes, like wooded shapes, polyminos, so and you get this board and you're supposed to like put them together. And actually, um Pajanov actually designed a board game very recently. That actually takes that, but it's like a dual version of that. And it's called Tetris. I think it's called Tetris Duel. Um, if I'm not, uh, or no, no, it's called Table Tetris. Called Table Tetris. That's what it's called. You can find it on BGG. And it's essentially, you just have like two different, you, you essentially, everybody, you have one board and everybody takes turn and you put like one Tetramino on there. And you're essentially trying to like block your, you're essentially trying to be the last person that puts in the tetramino, right? Because um, you have a set number of pieces um, and they're distributed amongst each other. So there's certain times that you're going to have a piece that just isn't going to fit anywhere. So you're trying to like play the game. Similar to like dominoes, right? How you're trying to block people through like reading like what numbers they have. Um, I haven't played the game. Um, I just know, I just found it as an interesting tidbit because Hajinov designed it and it has like the Tetris license to it. Um, a lot of games that are very much like Tetris or directly licensed by Tetris, I've never played. Um, that's one of them. I haven't played the Tetris game by um, Philip Walker Harding, who sure some of your you are aware, and then some of your listeners like you know a renowned board game designer. I have played his Silver and Gold, which does have which is his roll and write that you essentially get specific. You get to color in specific um, grid shapes that are like that are that are polyminos and everything like that. So that's that's a game that I really do enjoy. Um, there's Bricks as well by um, Wolfgang Warsh, which is a which is another roll and write. Which that one's a real time roll and write, which is supposed to simulate Tetris. That I haven't played. That looks awesome though. Um, and what am I? And that's and that's really I mean when I can think of I mean there's other games that do certain similar stuff right as we were talking about the game right it starts off as like a puzzle game right you're trying to put pieces in specific orders but it becomes a dexterity game so if you want to if you want to just get the sense of it there's so many games that have that experience right? especially like in tabletop format I mean there's so many like build like build a tower type of games. Now, I mean, Jenga, there's even, I think there's a Jenga version of Tetris as well, which I haven't played, which sounds like horrible. Like when it's, <laughs> it's like, you can't see, like, you're just trying to put a piece. You can't see like how the piece, yeah, I guess you have to memorize like the shape of each colored piece, but, but it's, yeah, that's, that's one thing that's out there. Um, I'm trying to think that's, I mean, that's really yeah, I can't really think of much, really. I mean, I mean, it's a soul, a Tetris-like. I mean, not really, but I mean, it, it is one where you are, 
collecting pieces that are dropping right for the rule book itself it's like if you yeah. anything that you don't pick up gets dropped to the floor right and so <laughs> and you are like and you are creating um you know specific i mean it's just lines but if it fits into like your board specific way so Oh, yeah. It was interesting. I mean, because, yeah, like you said, obviously, it's just, you know, lines and connecting the pieces. But, you know, you definitely are incentivized to, you know, think about the com the combos that you can build with the pieces. I mean, that's what's going to score you like a grand majority uh, of your points throughout the course of the game. So. Interesting. I yeah, I I mean, I think I asked this question um you know, you you mentioned earlier. You talked a little bit about the differences between, you know, tabletop games and Tetris, and in specifically the real time. So I think like being able to capture that would you would have to have some type of like real time element, uh, unless you're really just going for the the puzzly uh, kind of like strategy side of it. So, I mean, some of the games that I. I put uh, were were Project L, and you know that one has like a pretty cool tactile um, uh, feel to it as well. And I mean, there's really no time pressure, but I think with the the engine building in it, you can kind of enter that like flowish feel a, a bit. And then uh, Cartographers is another roll and write example. And and that one I just like because I think the pressure comes at you at the end when you really are starting to get filled up and you have to consider the scoring conditions. And then technically not um, time, not real time, but written into the rules uh, in, in my city is once you draw the card, you are supposed to place your piece like immediately. You're not really supposed to think about it. So I don't know how much you can enforce that rule uh necessarily but i think i think it's trying to hit at that field too yeah no D dr canizia who's a designer of my city he definitely has a lot of games that you can you can argue like fit within that realm i mean funny enough me and fred we actually we interviewed canizia that's up on his channel um people want to see that he dropped some news about um a game that's going to be released. It's the only place that's been covered, so you have to listen to the interview to like find out. But yeah, that's that's a fantastic designer. Um, another game, since you brought cartographers, another game that comes to mind is um, I think it's a let's make a bus route, the dice game by Sashi and Sashi, which is a a a dice version of let's make a bus route, which both are which both are. Well, once a flip and write, and then let's make a bus route becomes a, a roll and write. And that's one where you essentially, you're rolling and you get to assign a specific, it's not a shape, it's more like a route, but the way it fits within the board is essentially like, it's essentially a shape. And you and you have to essentially fit that into your route and you can never cross, like you can never actually like return to a point that you've done before. Um, so that's what, there's a lot of stuff and you know and and tabletop games are and there's so many that just do different stuff there's the new game um fit to print which has a real-time element which you're also laying down 
to like new stories, right? But the way that they're laid out, it's like in this like grid system board and you're trying to like make them fit. And that has an element that you can play that solo, you can play that with several people. I've talked to a lot of people that said that that's like a fantastic game. I haven't played it yet. I know um the game designer and also podcaster um Dan Bullock uh, who designed who designed stuff obscure games, but he's done he's done stuff um like um, No Motherland Without and um Iran nineteen seventy nine I think is the other one he he loves that game like he thinks it's like it's a fantastic game. Awesome, yeah that. Yeah, you said that one. That sounds like a, an awesome example. And yeah, from kind of that design group, I've played a bunch of their other ones, but that is one that I haven't played. But yeah, uh, really uh, interesting note too. I at, at the top, I didn't mention uh, specifically, obviously, uh, your work with Fred and, and Homo Ludens, but I will definitely link, I'll link, you know, that channel. I'll uh, I'll link, you know, uh, pop, your work on pop matters and then your website as well too but i i started working through uh, some of like your videos on on homoludens and i'm i'm excited to finish those up uh too because a lot of good conversations with a lot of people and i i had the the Kinesia one up i had that one clicked up but i i was still listening to the uh board games and colonialism panel so I figure I finish one before I get to the next, obviously, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you definitely watch probably, I mean, definitely the most like influential one that we've done. Definitely got a lot of, yeah, a lot of people contacting us and it's a pretty good panel too. I mean, we got Cole Worley there, um, Dr. Mary Flanagan, who's, you know, runs wrestling, but then also has, you know, I mean, talk about how influential like academic when it comes to like game studies um of course is there jason perez is there as well and i might be forgetting the other person which uh, i definitely am. brian brian train brian train how can i forget the best yeah brian train he's uh he, yeah he's also a uh game designer specifically focusing on like conflict simulations um yeah we'll be doing we'll be doing another panel similar to that um later later in the year um try to have Cole back and a few other like Dan Row and other folks. So talk about some, you know, some topics there similar to that, but you know, different flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Some awesome stuff. I, I really like that channel, the the work that you're doing there and, and just being able to like have all these different outlets. I think it kind of goes to the the point that you, like talked about with your idea of like these these scholarly pursuits and like being able to share them with people and have them think about them too and hopefully think about them critically in a way that they perhaps hadn't or or just adding different ideas to the conversations that they were either having with other people or in their heads then too good stuff okay so you shared like some really good thoughts for kind of my my nebulous catch-all Tetris in real life <laughs> category and honestly you know the story that you shared uh, early on is is probably the the best um 
answer for anything that I could even question here. And I don't even think that I really did. Well, actually, no. But but nonetheless, I guess my my one one or two questions in this category, because I've I've been taking up a, a lot of your time here. I just kind of looked. I'm like, oh my, we're we are getting after it with with this talk. But so you mentioned the Tetris effect early, and that idea of like seeing the game and and like the puzzle pieces, like after you close your eyes in your sleep, trying to still figure out that puzzle. Uh, have you had other or are there any kind of other notable games, movies, or images that give you? or have given you uh, the Tetris effect that aren't uh, merely Tetris? It's a good question. I mean, I would say, I'll start off with saying that there's nothing really, there's no game like Tetris in that regard, meaning that you can just play it for a little bit and be engaged just so deeply for a little. I mean, there's definitely, but that being said, yeah, you can have, I mean, going back to that, um, to that article, it's, it's not just like the original article that coins the phrase, like the, the Robert State quotes, um, re, excuse me, replaying the game. It's it's not, they just use Tetris as the example, right? And it's a perfect example for, for what they're trying to state there. But there's other stuff too. I mean, anything that you just like do a lot. I mean, it can be a real life stuff. I mean, I don't personally garden, but gardening is something. Or even, well, a, a humorous example is um, if any of your, if you have or any of your of the listeners have have watched um, Charlie Chaplin's film Modern Times. There's a famous scene where he's like working the assembly line, and the task is just so repetitive. He's just like screwing bolts together, and the task is just so repetitive. But he's doing it so much that he essentially like that's the only thing he could do. <laughs> So, you know, he's just doing, he's like outside of work. He's like, you know, moving his hands like he's doing, you know. So if one has specific jobs like that, you know, these are things that also you, you think about it. I remember when I was in high school, I was in a technical like high school. So you, you know, you're getting your high school diploma plus you're getting like a tech degree. And my tech degree was in, was in culinary arts and we had times that we would like make sandwiches. You know, we run like the we'll run like a, a a kitchen. And one of my main tasks was like I was like the sandwich guy. And I remember I would make it's like a week that I made so many sandwiches that like I went home one night and I had a dream that I was making sandwiches. And then it's like, no, I'm not doing this ever again. You know, like <laughs> that. So that type of situation. Any task that really engages you engages you to a point where not only gets your full attention, but then also you, after a while, you're able to perform it um, essentially subconscious. Like you don't have to engage your conscious to do it is, is something that this, this is just going by, by the, by the, by the article. It's, you would get that effect eventually. You would get, you would get that effect at one point. Um, yeah, but if you know, if you play a game for like a long time, or you do something for a very long time, you're you're most likely going to dream about it, right? Like, um, I'm trying to think of an example of something recently. I, 
I mean, you know, I'm fairly busy, so like I'm never engaging with something to a point because I have to like split like you know my tasks and everything. I'm you know, if I play a game, I'm not playing a game for more than like an hour or something because, you know, I have to do something else. I have to like read or I have to like do other stuff. So it's not, it never becomes, well, actually conversations are something that's probably more neurotic, but right. Like you're having a conversation and like, you don't think the conversation went well or something. Then like in your sleep, you're just like, oh, like I should have said this differently or I should have like handled that differently. Um, that might not necessarily be the same thing, but it's, it's definitely something that like, gets you that way. Yeah, that's that's an interesting note. Uh, I think the one that kind of like hit me that I didn't that didn't really think about was kind of like the the real life tasks and and like the sandwiches uh, for you. Just kind of like that. It is patterns, you know. It's things that are kind of like you know falling into patterns, doing it doing it doing it and just having it continue on in your brain even when even when you want it to be done uh potentially okay um okay one one more kind of question so you you talked about and i didn't actually uh write his name but you mentioned about pretty recently how the there was the boy who you know quote unquote beat uh tetris I haven't looked into it a ton. I think, you know, the headlines that I saw mentioned how, I mean, he'd been a really good Tetris player for a long time, but then that his father had recently passed as well, like right before he uh, beat it too. Um, but so that's, I mean, that's just like kind of really, uh, you know, crazy timing that that is something that just happened. But you commented on your conversation with Liz that that you're not much of a fan of like speedruns. And and first off, I didn't really know much about uh, speed running until, I mean, I knew it was a thing, you know, and you see like videos or whatever. But then I watched, I think, a single video on some of the Mario, like, you know, like original Mario speedrunning stuff. And I was like, wait, this is just so bizarre. <laughs> It's crazy, like the things that people are doing to like try to save frames in order to beat a level as quick as they can. So I guess would you constitute beating Tetris as as the same as like speed running or or do you have like a differentiation between the two? Yeah, that's a great question. It's I mean it it's different because um so Willis Gibson, who was the first person known to, you know, to quote-unquote beat Tetris, they, they, like, they played the game. They just played it until essentially the game crashed. <laughs> so that's that's how you, that's how it, I guess it's now defined that you beat, that you beat Tetris. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's different in the sense of like, you're not actively... I mean, that's a good question because are you because you are active well you're playing it to break the game but i think what makes speed runs yeah you know what yeah now that i'm thinking about it, it would be classified as a speed run and i think now in the future we'll probably people would try to do games done quick which is like the big like event that happens once a year where you know people speed run games charity etc and it's 
And I think that's something that we would probably see now. I, I think what makes that different is that it wasn't, people didn't know you can do it until this year. Like it was always like theorized. People were like, oh, like eventually if you just keep playing, the game's just going to crash. This was the first time that at least we know, like there's been documented that people, there's people that have run like the code of it and like, you know, and seen go into the game, which is a part of speed running. I mean, one of the interesting things about speed running, I'll, I'll share this, I'll share this between you, like in the, in the chat later, but there's like a really funny, like YouTube clip for this channel. I forget the channel's name. And it's like, and it's like this discussion and, and it's like somebody like saying that like speed runners are, they're like, they're like woke or like lazy because they're like trying to like, you know, like be like, they're all like left. It's like, it's really dumb. It's like a comedy skit, but it's like, they're all like trying to like, they don't want to work hard. That's why they want to just like fast speed through like the game. And then you're just like, if you actually know like what it takes to speed run, <laughs> it's like, it couldn't be further from the truth. Like some speed runners like know the game better than like the creators. Like they know the, cause you have to know the code. So you have to like know like, where can you glitch it to a specific way that you can like essentially just cut off just like sometimes hours of a game. So you can like essentially similar. It's like, it's like the, it's like the Mario like warp like tunnels, right? It's like you get into, you find the hidden tunnel and then like you go up like three levels instead. Like this is actually like, you're actually playing like with the actual, like with the source code of the game to do that. Um, It's, so you have to find that out. You have to like essentially perfect the play of the game itself, like timing, like how to do like moves. Like it's, it takes, I mean, takes hundreds of hours. Like even for like a short game, even a game that would typically take somebody maybe like just like an hour to beat just on a regular like situations, uh, speedrunner can spend hundreds of hours on that game just so they can know every nook and cranny, just to shave off like, half a second of like their time. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely like a skill and it's, it's really, it's a fascinating, it's a really fascinating like aspect of, of video game culture. Um, I don't know, there's really no analog to that when it comes to board games, really. I mean, and when you're play testing a game, you're trying to break it to see like if it can hold up, right? Like if maybe there's issues with the math or like issues like the system, but you can't like, what are you gonna, you're gonna like, I'm gonna bend the card. I'm gonna bend like <laughs> the card to like, I don't know, and I'm gonna get like a a benefit from that. I mean, so that that's actually like a, that's an interesting thought to have. I don't know, maybe in some of these, um quote-unquote legacy games right maybe there is maybe i mean can you just cheat i mean i guess that would be cheap but right? you just like open the legacy game and just open all the boxes <laughs> and it's like i speed run i speed ran the whole time, right but, yeah maybe I'm, oh maybe I'm, like yeah. oh sorry no i was just gonna say i I hope that I wasn't the first person to ever like say that. That's like the way you speed run a board game. It just opened <laughs> up all them. Maybe. Now now people are gonna learn how to beat those legacy games super fast, but but don't that come on. Like you're gonna spend those games are most of them are pretty expensive. 
especially like the new ones, like the the new like ticket to ride one. That's like an a hundred dollar game or something. You're gonna spend a hundred dollars just to open all the boxes, and then it's like <laughs> it's over. God, I don't need to play this ever again. Yeah, you you brought up an interesting question. I don't know if there you can really get any sort of analog uh, comparison. the The idea of playtesting a game and making sure that there aren't things that can be broken is is a really good. Oh, uh, probably not one one, but like a really good example. Thinking about it, but perhaps, perhaps like dexterity games maybe like dexterity stacking games to see if you can make it like very simple example like your biggest jenga uh, or the biggest jenga the fastest or something like that but it's not it's not going to be the same as finding every missing frame or or thing that you can do to break a level of like mario or something well that's kind of that's kind of similar in a way because you know there's different quote-unquote genres of speed runs there's like there's two assisted which you use like uh you use software or something to find you know to like help you find you know specific like glitches or you know etc or change like aspects of the games that are like innate within like the general like gameplay that's a um and then there's just ones that don't use it at all and that those are the ones that are like next level right like you're just yeah you 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 know that game like you've read that game like you know like a like a monk in monastery studies the bible like you just know it you just know every nook and cranny of it um i'm trying to think of when it comes now you mentioned when you mentioned like analog games something that comes to mind well i don't know well, let's just use this example of a jigsaw puzzle. I know it's not a perfect example, but you know, there's certain people that there's a way that you can, you know, play well, fix it to a point that you can get really good at it and fix it really fast. But you know, there's like ludicrous examples of people like taking like the stickers off and like putting like the other stickers to all match. I mean, that's isn't that essentially a form of speed running? We're getting into like weeds like deep stuff <laughs> then we're gonna have to start talking about like magic circle stuff like Posinga, <laughs> and it's like you know cheating <laughs> this stuff right and it's <laughs> but it does raise it does raise like uh i think one of the things that it still has to be like a skill it still has to be like you need to know you still need to play the game and there's still like a, a skill based element it's just that you quote unquote unlock the different dimensions so to speak of it right like you're playing it in a different like plane than you would otherwise um and there's a lot of difficulties to be able to do that within the analog sense right in tabletop games where you don't break that magic circle where it just actually just becomes just straight up cheating or you know or or other or other things that might for a lot of people might just break the immersion and just like ruin the the quote-unquote fun right of it because um, a speed one can be fun if anything it's like a new way of playing like a game right like okay you beat you beat super mario brothers three like a hundred times so what, what what can you do to spice it up it's like well now i'm just gonna like see if i can just go as fast you know just find all these places and just okay i beat the game in two hours, I'm going to try to beat the game in an hour and 30 minutes, right? Like all these other things. Um, can you do that 
can you do that with like Twilight Imperium? Am I gonna like okay, it took us sixteen hours, so now I'm gonna tr- we're gonna try to like we're just gonna be on it and we're just gonna try to beat it and like well finish the game right we're gonna finish because only one person's gonna win so it's like we're just gonna finish <laughs> it in like 10 in 10 hours i mean that's a di- that's a interesting you know design challenge and like just thought experiment for like designers and players to consider when they play um it might ruin your game though <laughs> but, you know, but, but that's yeah that, that's for the brave <laughs> Well, you mentioned legacy games, so maybe maybe people can think of how they can beat Gloomhaven as fast as possible. They'll play Gloomhaven like ten times. Now they know they know what every like level is. They know the fastest route to get to the end game, and uh, then well, they actually by, have to buy, hope. <laughs> buy the updated book format, not the title <laughs> set up. That that would automatically you'll save like you'll save so much time. <laughs> You're just like all of a sudden you lose a tile piece and your your speed runs over. You're like, oh, where did it go? Where is A eight? Who who took it? <laughs> it's in the dog's mouth. The dog is like, but oh, it eats it. It's like, oh no. Oh goodness. Well, that's funny. No, there there are definitely some things to consider. You said you said we got in the weeds, but I like I like some of the things that we found there. <laughs> Hey, that that's where you catch Pokemon, right? So it's good. You gotta go into the grass. <laughs> that's a it's like a very wise lesson to take away from, from yeah. this. I mean, sometimes you get a a caterpie, other times you get, you know, you can get a, a Pidgey or whatever it is that you like. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we 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 got like a really a relatively high level Pidgey for where we're at in the game right now. So a shiny, a shiny Pidgey. <laughs> awesome. So well, we'll move to the just the, the wrap up thoughts and uh the the penultimate question that I have is is always the the text question. So what's I mean, we've been talking about Tetris a lot, so maybe that is still the the text that has been stuck on your mind lately. But is there anything of note that you've been thinking about a lot? Um, I've been thinking about. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of stuff because I I'm writing a lot of stuff. You know, I said I I have been working on a article about Tetris for the past year on and off. It's not like it's been, I've been actively working for a year. Cause then at that point it'll be like a book or a monograph, but I have been thinking about it um, for a bit. So it, it was great when you messaged me, it's like, Oh yeah, man, I've been, so, you know, even this conversation, I'm using it for part of like what I'm going to potentially talk about. Uh, maybe I'll give you like a shout out to on it for helping me out. So it's, um, what else? Um, I've been I've been reading um, Hayao Miyazaki's the the animator, the Studio Ghibli animators um, book, um, Starting Point, which is, covers his career from 1979 to 1996. The most pessimistic human being on the face. It's just fascinating, just like the stuff that he like says on there, um, and. 
Um, I recently wrote an article about the game Kingdom Hearts 2, which is going to be coming out in March, which the um, with a with an internet magazine called Unwinnable, which is, has some great writing on there. So I've been thinking about that a lot. So that's a game that I hate. So <laughs> yeah, if you if if your the listeners get to read that. You, you know, I, I hope that it comes across how I feel about it. Um, I mean, yeah. It, um, what I have been playing for fun. Well, I've been thinking. I've been thinking about arcs a lot. The the leader games, early stuff. So I played that at um. So I played that with. Well, Cole taught me the game at Pax Unplugged, and I've been thinking about that game a lot. Um. So I'm excited when that comes out this year. And uh, any other tabletop stuff. Um been playing a lot of point games, which are just a good uh, Tiger and Dragon, which that came out recently, which is a which is a hybrid on the on on a on a battle game, a, a traditional battle game. It's it's really good. Like it's really good influence and doesn't come in a small box like the typical point stuff and trying to think um and that's i mean that i've been thinking about games so that's it i mean i've mainly been doing more reading than playing just because i do that that's how i usually work in the beginning of the year i usually try to like get my knowledge base up or like refresh on things so then i can actually you know i can talk about other stuff yeah no there's yeah a lot of text to think about that the the book that you mentioned that sounds uh fascinating i've i definitely I, i'm skipping ahead because you just mentioned it but i you mentioned the oink games because you you showed me a little bit of uh, uh hey yo before before we started up chatting and i've i'd heard of the tiger and Dragon Games, that's that's a super new one. And like you mentioned, uh, a little bit of change in form for the the size of the box. So very neat. Okay, so the the final final question is, oh, pardon me. All right, all my talking caught up to me, I guess. But. You've mentioned, you know, uh, you know the the scholarly uh, like journal uh, that you're working on, some of the articles that are going to be coming out you know, for Pop Matters and other sites. The couple of the videos that will be coming out with uh, Homo Ludens as well. Any anything else to you know have the listeners uh, look into uh, from you that that you've been working on that you uh, want to talk about? Um. Yeah, I guess it, this is always an issue when people ask me this because I have to start like narrowing down. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I'll have a live stream with Fred Serval on next next Sunday um, on on, Ho on the Homo Ludens YouTube channel, also on Twitch as well. We're going to be interviewing um, a few game designers who have unionized. So we're going to cover the topic of um, unionization within the creative space in in the tabletop industry. Uh, 
Jeff Engelstein, who's like a famous designer, um, he he's he'll be he'll be one of the panelists for that. Um, in regards to things, yeah, I mean, I should have. I, I just released a, an article. I think it was last. It was it's actually a Monday on Monday with Pop Matters. It's a review of of a book called It's Not All Fun and Games, which is uh, a book about um, video game video game and toy production by um, Mark um, Fleetman, who's uh, it's like a renowned figure. Um, he actually had a New Yorker article on him about two years ago because he had like this like collection of all these like games, just like massive memorabilia trove. And like his daughter was trying to ask like, you know, if this stuff is worth anything. And it led to the Video Game History Foundation going in and like evaluating his stuff. Uh, so he released a book with Press Run, which is uh, which is like the book publishing win of limited run games, which does, you know, like limited like reissues of, of video games. So that's a pretty neat book. Um, if anybody's interested on that side, a lot of like really good pictures. Um, fairly affordable too. It's like two, it's like 20 bucks, $25. Um, highly recommend it. Um, anything else? Yeah, I have a like I said, I have an article coming out with Unwinnable on Kingdom Hearts 2. Um, hate that game. So <sighs> Yeah, I have other stuff. I just can't. I have a lot of stuff coming out on my website soon. I have a, yeah, I have that article on Tetris is going to come out there. I also have, I also have a review of, well, a review. It's actually kind of, it's a weird thing. I'm going to talk about, um, the, there's a video game series called Frog Detective, which is an adventure game series. Um, and I'm going to use that to talk about what what makes a criminal like in real life like how we identify <laughs> because the case about detectives so um and that's about it that's about it yeah that's that's about it like you know 20 different articles a bunch of panels that's it you know? <laughs> yeah yeah I, I have a lot of stuff i just can't like yeah sometimes it's even good to say that out loud because it's like what the hell else like yeah, sometimes it can be like a lot, but I'm narrowing down. I, I, yeah, I have so much stuff. Um, I mean, PAX East is coming up, which I'll be there um, in about a month. Um, so if anybody's going to be there, um, I don't know if you know what I look like, but if you, I'll have my press badge and probably my name. So if you recognize me, say hi. I also will, I'm also going to be in Circle DC, which is a tabletop convention in DC uh, run by, um, Fort Circle Games, which, you know, if you know, they release uh, Votes for Women. They have their new game coming out, um, which is uh, the, the Hulse of Montezuma, which looks awesome. So that's the only conventions I'm beyond this time of the year. So this part of the year. Yeah, the, the Circle DC was just brought to my attention. And uh, this spring, I'll, I'll be coaching track, so hard hard for me to get out but i was i was kind of kind of bummed when i heard about that and i looked into it i was like oh that seems seems like it'll be a good one yeah it's very good yeah i highly recommend if any of the listeners are interested i mean it's in, it's in dc it's in the dc area so but it's 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 
great fun. It's actually fairly intimate. I think the ratio between like game designers and and players, it's like <laughs> it's like two to one. I think mostly everybody who goes there is like a designer. So it's really neat. But you have like a lot of great you have like a lot of great people. So if you want to like play games with people like Liz Davidson, myself, um, David Thompson, you know, I don't know if he's going to be here this year, but he was there last year. So, you know, a lot of great, a lot, a lot of like great names there. So. That's, that's fantastic. So yeah. If uh, anybody here uh, winds up going there, definitely look out for uh, Luis and all all the other people he mentioned and, and with like such a great ratio of, you know, designers to, to non-designers, it's like the teacher to pupil ratio. You're, if you're a non-designer, you'll be in good hands, a bunch of nice people to, to help you out. But yeah, um, with, with all those things, uh, you're working on all those things that you're doing. And I, I really, really appreciate you taking, uh, your, your time uh, to spend it with me and, and have this conversation. Uh, like I said, there was just kind of like that feeling, uh, well, everything that you said in uh, the episode that I talked about um, with Liz, I enjoyed, I, I re-listened to it. I, I usually don't uh, wind up like re-listening to too many like episodes, I mean, here and there, but that was one that just really struck a lot of chords with me. So I, I was really uh, happy when when you're like yep i'll talk to, talk about tetris anytime <laughs> was was your response so i i'm like i said beyond appreciative that you took all of that time uh to talk about tetris and, and a whole bunch of other things with me tonight no i appreciate it it was a lot of fun all right awesome thank you intertextual cardboard experience the most Tetris podcast about board games and any other text that they connect to. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time here. Any further support, such as sharing the show with friends, following the page's socials in the episode description, writing a review, filling out the feedback form, or doing anything else you can think of is greatly appreciated. Keep playing, watching, reading, listening, uh, experiencing.